Thank you, musicians, for uh, leading us to the cross. We've been thinking about the cross, Christ being lifted up. And today we're starting the uh, book of glory. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13, which is a major division in the gospel. We've been through five messages from the book of signs, they call it, which are the miraculous signs that Jesus did that indicated who he was. And now we turn the chapter and we're in the second part of this wonderful gospel of John, and it is the book of glory. You might be asking, as we read this text, I wonder why they started the book of glory with this scene in the life of Jesus. So we go to verse 1. Now, next, next week, Easter, I'm going to be looking at the appearance of Jesus by the Sea of Galilee to Peter and the other disciples. We're going to go to the end of the Gospel of John, John 21. What does Jesus do in his glorified body? Well, he scrambles around the Sea of Galilee, picking up driftwood, starts a fire, and fix breakfast for the boys. It just continually amazes me, this wonderful Savior whom we serve. So we're in John 13, and this is verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So we have the foot washing, John 13. John records the foot washing instead of the Lord's Supper. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the bread in the cup being passed around at this meal. John records a different event that happened at the meal when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. John says, so he got up. It's a change in the narrative. It's a moment John remembers very well. So he got up. Jesus knew four things at the Last Supper. He knew that the hour had come. We've been talking about how that hour hadn't come yet. All the way back to the changing of water into wine when Mary said, whatever he says, you do it. Remember that? Jesus said, mother or woman, my hour's not yet come. But now in verse 1 of chapter 13, Jesus knows the hour has come. What that means is the hour of his passion. In just a few hours, he's going to be arrested. The next morning, he'll be hung on the cross. The next evening, he will die there. The hour's come, you see. And the book of glory is about the hour. Palm Sunday's about the hour. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, it was the celebration of the hour. That was the moment when if the children didn't sing Hosanna, the rocks were going to cry out. Because it was his moment to come into Jerusalem as the king that he was, the Messiah, being recognized finally by his own people. The hour had come. And here Jesus knew what was unfolding. Second thing he knew is he knew Judas was already in the process of betraying him, and that's what's communicated by the verb here. It's a progressive movement by Judas. He knew it was in the heart of Judas to do this. Why Jesus left this traitor in the small group of intimate friends that he chose is a mystery. But it fit the purposes of God. And Jesus knows that Judas is about to do this. Judas is going to betray him and take 30 pieces of silver, just the price of a slave, for that betrayal. This hurts the heart of Jesus as is evident if you read the rest of chapter 13. This fact that Judas, who had been with him these years, 
and knew him so well would betray him in the end. Well, you know how betrayal feels. You know how it feels to be stabbed in the back, to be wounded by a friend. That's what Jesus is feeling in the upper room at this meal. He knew Judas would betray him. Third thing he knew, he knew the Father had put all things under his power. You say, what? What? He's about to be nailed on a cross and hung up to die naked in front of the world. And he's got all things under his power. What is that about? It's about him voluntarily laying down his life. See, he takes off his outer garment and he lays it down. And in verse 12, he picks it up. It's the same verbs, both verbs, used when he tells the disciples, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I pick it up. What will he do with all this power that he has in the universe? All things under his power. What's he going to do with it? He knows what he will do. He will do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. That's what he will do. In this foot washing, we have a great act and demonstration of love. It is in dramatic form. The crucifixion acted out by our Lord with his disciples. Later they will understand. Now perhaps they don't. But Jesus is in drama showing them what he will do with all this power that he has. Fourth thing Jesus knows. He came from the Father, and he's going to the Father. He knows he came from the Father, and he's going to the Father. He knows this in his heart. He's going to tell the disciples in the next chapter in this discourse, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Why are these four chapters of discourse in the book of glory? Because the disciples must know that the Father is preparing a place for them. And Jesus is going to that place, and they will come as well. Jesus is going to come back and receive them unto himself. They are about to experience the lowest point of their life. They will see this as tragedy, and sorrow will crush their souls, and everybody will run in fear, and Saturday will be a day of heaven's silence. So Jesus wants them to know He's going to the Father. 
The Father has a plan and purpose, not only on this planet, but in heaven, in his house. And so I want you to be assured and confident. Those four things Jesus knows when he gets up. There are four things that you can know too. You can know that God has placed you here and that this is your hour. Other generations have come and gone. People who believed in Jesus and sought to follow him. And now the clock is ticking on you. And the minutes are passing in your life. Jesus set his jaw, Luke says. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, even though the disciples knew that his enemies wanted to kill him there, and they tried to dissuade him. No, they're going to kill you there. And finally, Thomas says, let's just go too, so we can die with him. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and it's going to be that kind of determination in you when you discover that the clock is ticking on my life. And whatever I'm going to do for Jesus, I got to do it now. I got to set things in motion now. I can't wait till later to serve him and be the one he's called me to be. The hour's come. Folks, it's here. It's here. And yes, there is opposition both within and without. And the most painful opposition is the opposition that comes from those who are supposed to love you. And you know that too. That you'll not stand for Christ in this generation or in this culture without criticism. Without people throwing their darts at you. You know these things. You know the hours come. You know there'll be opposition. But you also know that all authority is given to your Lord in heaven and on earth. And the idea that we go, I mean, the Great Commission is predicated upon this truth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You know this. So as you go to the ends of the earth, to the far reaches of our city, to the institutions where there is pain and trouble and heartache, as you go to people who are in sorrow yourself, you go in the authority of Jesus who knows it all with a power that is unlimited. I mean, it is to comfort you when you realize it's your turn that all authority is given unto your Lord in heaven and on earth. And know this too. You are God's special creation. The Father made you. You're as surely a special creation of God as the first human. You are unique among all the billions of humans who've ever lived on this planet. You, especially designed, for a very particular and specific task that God has given you to do on this earth. You have come from the Father. And you are going to the Father in the sovereign purpose of God and through the wonderful work of Christ. That's your destination. Sometimes you worry about where your life is headed and sometimes it's a place of real concern and anxiety for you. You're not sure where your life is going and you feel sort of out of control and you wonder what's going on in the world and if the world is out of control then maybe your life is too and it is a common anxiety in the human heart 
to suppose that things have just been lost and life has just unraveled. But no, no. For you who know Jesus, you have come from the Father and you're going to the Father. All right? Now, you know that your life is like a vapor, right? Just like the book says. You appear for a short time and then it vanishes away. The psalmist said, your life is like the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow. The flower fades and then it falls off. You know that about life and sometimes you feel like it's slipping away. And you wonder, how in the world did life go this fast? So with all the anxieties that maybe we have, we rest in the assurance that we are going to the Father. That's our destination. We know how this story ends. We end up in the arms of Christ. We end up with the one who loves us and made us to be his own. We end up with the God who created us and loves us as his children. We have a permanent address. It is in the Father's house. Those things we know. Okay, so you got to settle that right here. Now, second thing that happens before he gets up. John says, he loved those who were in the world. His own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? He loved them to the end. Okay, so we know now. That the foot washing is an act of love. It's a demonstration of love. Jesus wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know the extent of his love. And he wants them to follow him in this amazing love that he expresses to them in the foot washing. So he's going to tell them, love one another like I have loved you. He wants them to do that. Now, you're familiar with this desire too. It's in your heart. You love those whom God has chosen to place in your life. And Jesus says of his disciples, these are the ones that the Father gave me. And you feel that way about your spouse and your children and your grandchildren, don't you? You feel that way about those close friends. These are the ones the Father gave me to be my companions in the journey in this life. And that was very precious to Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Why does he need 12 special friends? Because every human needs some special friends. That's why. Because that's part of humanity. And so you have these the Father has given you. And you love them. And you know what else? You want them to love one another. And you're going to love them right to the end. And when you're laying on your deathbed, you want their faces above you. Like the angels of God around you. When you get to that point where you know it's about time for you to go home, the last faces you want to see 
are the people, the friends, the companions God is giving you in this journey of life. And there's something else in your heart. When you're gone, you want those beautiful faces to keep loving each other. It's on your heart that your son will love your daughter and that they will love those grandchildren and that folks around them will love them and care for them and at work and at school and in the neighborhoods that they will encounter people who will love them. It's on your heart. Lord, let them be loved and let them have love in their life, love to give and love to receive. Let that be part of their journey. And that's what is on the heart of Jesus as he comes to this hour and he knows the time is short and he wants to reinforce the great truth in the life of his disciples and so he washes their feet. He wants them to know, I love you this much. I want you to love each other this much. This is important. You are the companions the Father gave me and I want you to deeply love one another. Brothers and sisters, This is the call of our Savior, to love each other like this. Do you ever pray, Lord, strengthen my love? Do you ever pray, Lord, deepen my love? Do you ever pray, Lord, broaden my love? Help me to include more in my love. Do you ever pray that way? Do you ever pray about your love? You know, your love meter is the finest and most accurate indicator of how close you are to God. For God is love. And he calls us to love. And he who lives in love lives in God. That's John from his first letter. He loved those who were in the world and he loved them right up to the end. And we do too. So he got up. He got up. John would never forget it. They're reclining. They have an elbow down, left elbow down, eating with the right elbow. You think it's tough now if you're left-handed to sit at the table. Just think about this. I mean, you got to turn your whole body the other way around to eat with your left hand. So they're, they're reclined at the table on that left elbow, maybe on some cushions, eating with that right hand. For somebody to get up, it's a moment. Jesus got up. He laid aside the outer garment. He laid it down. He took up the towel, wrapped it around his waist. He got the basin of water. He went to the first disciple, whose feet were sticking out from the table, you see. They didn't put their feet under the table. They stuck out from the table. And he began to wash those dirty feet. This is the task of the slave. 
You know, in Jewish, Jewish custom, you actually couldn't make your servant wash your feet. Although, oftentimes, they just did it because they loved that person they served and they wanted to express it. It was, in a way, always an act of love to wash those feet. And Jesus got up, he put on the towel, and he began to wash their feet. He is moved to action as we are moved to action. He expresses his love for them in this dramatic and practical way. I think this is the key and the clue to what he expects of you. He gets up, he washes their feet, he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter says, you shall never, you shall never. I think Peter expresses a discomfort that all of the disciples are feeling. At least one of them is laying there thinking, man, I wish I'd have thought of doing this. I didn't, you know, if I'd have just done this, he wouldn't have had to do this. This is embarrassing. The Lord himself is washing my feet. Or maybe they're thinking, why didn't Peter do this? Peter had been glad to wash everybody's feet. All Jesus had to do was ask him, and he'd have done it. But when Jesus got to Peter, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Why, Peter? Why? Because there's something in the human heart that wants to do it myself. I'm okay, Jesus. I got this. I don't need you washing my feet. I can make this happen. I can do what I need to do. I've got the competence. I've got the intelligence. I've got the energy. I've got the will. I don't need you washing my feet. Jesus says, you don't understand now, but you're going to understand later. I think still embedded in the heart of Peter is this protest about the whole idea of Jesus suffering and dying. Already he has taken Jesus aside and scolded him harshly for suggesting that he must suffer and die. No, don't talk like that. It ruins the morale of the group when you talk about suffering and dying. That's not what's going to happen. We're marching on to victory here. That's how he responded on the road to Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus suggested he was going to suffer and die. Now Jesus is getting on his knees and he's taking this towel and water and he wants to wash Peter's feet. And that's not the role for the king of kings and lord of lords, not in Peter's mind. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, 
you can't be with me. You got to get this. Don't you miss this. If you don't let him wash your feet, you can't be with him. Think about it. You think you can handle that dirt yourself? I mean, you're turning over a new leaf, you're working on New Year's resolutions. You've got some new strategies for how you're going to do right and be right. Every human being wants to be the king of his own castle, the master of his own fate. You want to be in charge, you want to feel like you're in charge. Maybe the whole world is spinning out of control, but for me at least, you know, I can decide what I'm going to do. And what Jesus does for Peter, he could not do for himself. And what Jesus wants to do for you, you cannot do for yourself. What is this thing that Jesus must do for Peter that he cannot do for himself? Only Jesus can forgive sin. That, that dirt that's on your soul, that blight that's on your heart, that troubled conscience, that sense of being unclean on the inside, the disappointment you feel about your own choices, and moral failure. How do you handle sin yourself? Can you really wash that off? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. So you got to come down from that place of pride that says, I can make myself good enough for God and admit that the blight upon your soul is something you cannot fix. It's beyond you to do it. You cannot get rid of the sin, this stain. You cannot make yourself acceptable to God. You can't do it. It's the hardest thing for a human to understand. And it's in the Bible all the way from the beginning. When Cain tries to bring his own offering unto God, it's the work of his hands. It's what he labored to do. He grew these vegetables in the dirt. Here's my offering, God. And the scripture says it was not acceptable to God because the work of our hands is not how we are saved. Jesus washes their feet 
so they will surely know and we will know that he alone can make us clean. And he's going to do this by laying down his life and dying on the cross at Calvary. This is how much I love you. This is what I will do for you that you cannot do for yourself. This is how much I want you in my eternal future. I will die on this cross. I will voluntarily give my life. I will take your place, as the ladies sang, on a cross that really belongs to you so that you can know forgiveness of sin so that I can make you my own. You can be with me and have a home in heaven forever. That's what's happening when Jesus takes off his outer garment and lays it down and washes their feet. Next week, we're going to see how he picks it up again. All right? That's next Sunday. That's the resurrection. Laying down is a crucifixion. So the scripture is full of the death of Christ because on the other side, Peter didn't understand now, but later you'll see. Later you will understand. And sure enough, later he looked back at all that Jesus did and he realized that Christ gave his life for me died in my place upon the cross, bore my sin on the tree so that I might know the forgiveness of God and have eternal life. So what Jesus told Nicodemus, he is now telling his disciples, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus culminates all these things by saying, do you know what I've done to you? And here's, here's an essential dimension of this whole act of foot washing, okay? It is about his death upon the cross. But then he sits down and he says, do you know what I've done to you? I've set you an example you must do for one another what I have done for you. So the foot washing is yes. The declaration of his death for them and his resurrection to new life and the way into the Father's house and how they can be clean on the inside. And it is also a declaration of what it means to be a servant of this master, a student of this teacher, a disciple of this Lord. The servant is not better than his master. He hopes to be like his master, Jesus said. And so this foot washing is your assignment in the present time, in your hour. When it's your turn, this is your assignment from Jesus. To put aside the pride. And take up the towel and allow the towel to be the symbol 
of your presence in the world. And all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, I mean, really? That's a couple of notches below where I am right now, you know? I mean, people serve me, and I'll serve them. Oh, you must be really great. People serving you. People use the towel on you, not you on them, right? Jesus says, look, let me tell you how it is in the kingdom. The greatest of you must be servant of all. This does not make sense, okay? This is not how we process things in corporate life. It's not the business model. It's something about this that feels upside down, but, but Jesus wants you to get it because your presence in the world is his presence in the world. And it's vitally important that you realize and know that to become the servant of all, to take the towel, is the highest calling you've received from Christ. For you represent now as you hit the floor and clean the feet of those you love. You represent the Lord Jesus, the glorious Lord Jesus, in your service to those he loves. I was thinking about Katrina this week. I think about Katrina about every week. <laughs> do you do that? I mean, I went through some parts of the city and I thought, man, that still looks like Katrina there. There are some parts where you go and you think, I, I still see that old storm. In East Texas, there are Cajun levees still out there. Have you seen them? You drive through the small towns and you'll see the debris that they've stacked up. We called them Cajun levees here because we put them everywhere. We had 21,000 volunteers who came to First Baptist New Orleans and we deployed them to how many sites, Andrew? 11,000, I don't know, oh, many, many. But we, we gutted over 1,000 houses with these teams. And we'd go into the house that had been completely flooded and we'd go through the things often with the homeowner there. Homeowners came expecting, you know, to get their valuables out of the house. And everything, everything is ruined. And you take it and you put it on the street. And you do it with as much care and love as you can. Because the homeowner's watching and it's the accumulation of a lifetime. You just strip everything out of that house and all the goods, all the drawers, all the bureaus, all the furniture, and you stack it on the street in the middle of that process. I realized something. We were washing feet for these homeowners. It was an act of love that often felt intimate going through their things, being in their place, And we wanted it to be an act of love. And sometimes people said, well, that house isn't worth saving. And we said, we're not gutting these houses for the houses. We're doing this for the homeowners. We're not engineers or architects. We're doing this for the homeowners. And it was a way of serving, putting on the mask, putting on the gloves, getting the wheelbarrow and the shovel and rolling into the house and stripping it down. 
See, that's what Jesus has got to do with us. He takes up that towel because we got to be cleaned. And we're in need. And nobody can clean us but him. And so he comes in and he takes that pride in ourselves and that self-righteousness. We feel like we got it together in our own strength and all of that self-assurance. And he just peels it off and washes it away so that we might know who we really are before him and what we really need and who he really is to us. So today, the challenge is this. Let him wash your feet. Peter had to let him, even though he didn't understand all about it, and you won't understand all about it either. When you let Jesus wash your feet, you won't have it all worked out. You'll know some things, though. You'll know you can't do it on your own because you've tried that. You know you need his help in getting things straight in your heart. You'll know that you want a life with God. And Jesus can give you today a new start. So let him wash your feet by coming to him and confessing your sin and asking him to forgive you. Bow with me, please. God, I pray today that you will find us willing, as Peter was finally willing, to let you wash our feet. Lord, that we could surrender our self-righteousness for the true righteousness that comes only from you through your death and resurrection. So, Lord, we trust you. We love you. Draw us to yourself. Make it clear what you are calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.